Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry, with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? Wouldn't you agree? I got $5. This is a run to the left. How many tackles can one man break? <laughs> You're saying that humans need fantasy to make life bearable. Humans need fantasy to be human. My goodness. That was good. You guys are pros. The best. Relentless refusing to give up. All right, hit that horn, babe. Let's dance. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Fantasy Flex Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Raybon of the Action Network, and this is our running back one fantasy preview episode for 2023. Here to break it down with me, one of my fellow top five weekly rankers from last year at Fantasy Pros, Sean Kerner. Sean, the odds maker, what's going on? What's up? Hope you had a happy fourth. Hopefully you're like at the beach for the last five days. Uh, yeah, I was, I was in and out. Yeah, I was having, I was yeah. having a good time. I was over there by the ocean. Uh, always nice to take it in, but it's about to be grind time. So, yeah, uh, well, we can still go to the beach every once in a while, <laughs> you know, hang out. But yeah. yeah, it's about to be grind time. So uh, yeah, for everyone out there, uh, what we're gonna do in this episode, we're gonna go through uh, all the running backs with the top twelve ADP, and uh, you know, for this episode, because we're dealing with highly drafted running backs, uh, I'm gonna kind of uh, focus on potential bus factors, risk factors, things like that, because there's only so much good you can say. And I think everyone knows why these guys are being drafted where they are. But um, I always say in the first few rounds, you don't want to lose your draft. So the more busts, obviously, you can avoid early on, the better. And then you take your shots uh, once you get outside those those high leverage rounds. But, uh, Sean, to start us off, before we get into the running backs, just more of a general question, uh, where are you taking your – first running back uh generally in drafts this year where do you think the sweet spot is you know is it round one or, or round two a must are you are you waiting longer what, what are you doing well you know as always i'm typically somebody that likes drafting receivers or getting travis kelsey earlier but i think the market has adjusted so you know this year we see a ton of receivers going in round one um which i think makes sense um you know when i'm looking at my running back projections um, you know, I have McCaffrey and Eckler top two. They're very close. They're in a tier of their own. And then running backs three through like nine, I have separated by about four points. So the fact that you can get 
some of these backs in tier two, as I would call it, like Derek Henry, Nick Chubb, mm-hmm. towards the end of round two, it, it makes a ton of sense to just keep attacking wide receiver in round one once McCaffrey and Eckler are off the board. Um, so I'm usually getting a receiver in round one unless I have a chance to get McCaffrey or Eckler. Um, so that's kind of how I've been approaching it because wide receiver, you know, there's a bunch of tiers and stuff, but it does drop off pretty mm-hmm. fast. Um, and it's a less fragile position. So um, just the way it's shaping up, like I said, the fact that a guy like Henry or Chubb can make it back to you and you get an elite receiver makes it very enticing to draft receiver or Travis Kelsey in round one this year. Yeah, I think that the receiver drop-off is key for me. You know, it comes a little earlier. It's like one minute you're drafting a guy like, you know, Mike Evans, who, okay, as a wide receiver three, you're not expecting too much, but then you're getting into like juju territory (laughs) real quick. A guy who we don't even know where he is in the pecking order and, you know, a lot of rookies and things like that. Just guys, not much certainty there. Um, So I think, you know, the running back one tier, you know, you mentioned it, that second tier of guys after McCaffrey and Eckler, who we'll talk about in a minute, uh, you know, Barkley, Henry, Nick Chubb. I, I've been able to get those guys late round two as well, sometimes even into round three. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that to me is the sweet spot because when you compare like guys like McCaffrey and Eckler to the top receivers, you always have to factor in that running backs are going to miss on average one to two more games than yeah. uh, a wide receiver. So, you know, that it's not like these guys, McCaffrey and Eckler, are bona fide like. 25 touch guys like they're they're carrying you know 12 to 14 times and getting a ton of receiving work but there is some variance with that um so i i do think that the sweet spot is you know that saquon barkley derrick henry nick chubb range yeah uh, which is usually the five through seven range uh in adp but let's uh let's go through these guys uh the adps mccaffrey's rb1 Eckler two robinson three taylor four barkley five derrick henry the king is six Chubb, Jacobs, Pollard, Harris, Ramondre, Stevenson, and Brees Hall round up the top 12. Uh, so McCaffrey, overall RB1. You said you have him as the RB1 as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess my question for you, two questions. Like, you only average about 14 carries a game with San Francisco. And, uh, you know, is that enough to be the overall RB1, in the, you know, with the Shanahan backfield and the mm-hmm. fact that there's always some uncertainty? And number two, uh, Age 27 is usually when a running back has peaked and starts to go the other way. Any concern there with the, uh, with the age? Yeah, the, the age is a concern and maybe not seeing, you know, a ton of 20 plus carries is a concern, but the same goes for us. Neckler. Yeah. Who's a year older, uh, but they're, they're kind of the same player where, yeah, they might not see a ton of, or they might not see any games with 20 plus carries this year, but they're getting all the more valuable touches. You know, they're going to be the goal line back. They're getting the receiving work. Um, so they're very similar in that regard. So we're, we're just comparing apples to apples here. So I'm giving the edge to McCaffrey because, again, he's one year younger. Um, you know, we have one of the best running backs in the game now and one of the best schemes for running backs in the 49ers. He was the RB1 last year from week eight on once he became a full-time starter for the Niners. Um, so plus, you know, having a full off season to become even more entrenched in this offense can't hurt. Um, but like I said, like I have these running backs very close, just a couple points apart. Uh, I don't think many people have Eckler being almost like a coin flip for the RB1, but I do. And I think it's going to come down to Brock Purdy, honestly. Um, you know, if Brock Purdy is healthy and starting week one, I like McCaffrey as my RB1. But if there starts to be, you know, some rumors or news that Purdy might not be ready week one, might not be ready by week three, 
um, and we're having Trey Lance or Sam Darnold, uh, you know, starting week one, that might make it even or even have Eckler leapfrog him in my rankings. Uh, that's how close it is. So I think this QB situation in San Francisco could dictate his final ranking. But as of now, he's my RB1. And, you know, going right into Eckler, because I think these two guys are interesting to compare. Mm-hmm. I think the question for me is how much touchdown regression can he handle? Because he's he scored, what is it, 30 Seven, I believe. Let, let me double check this. He has scored 38, 38 touchdowns over his last 33 games in the past two seasons. Now, we, we've talked about this offense under Kellen Moore. It was the fastest in the league, essentially, with the Cowboys. The Chargers were already fast, but you know the pace could go up. But Eckler's never averaged more than uh, 12.9 carries per game in a year. So, you know, is, is there even going to be touchdown regression? I mean, there always is. Yeah. Um, or at least we should expect it. But, you know, how much can he handle? And, you know, he's 28. How much did you factor in that in uh, with Eckler? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, can't project him, can't project his median for 18 total touchdowns this year. But I have 13, which is really good. Um, You know, he's getting the goal line work. That's the most important thing. Uh, He saw six touchdowns on 11 rush attempts inside the five. So I have about a touchdown and a half of regression potentially coming there. Um, you know, again, he has such a high floor ceiling combo with just the receiving work he gets, the goal line usage. So even with touchdown aggression, I still have him getting 13 total. Um, the only concern I could say for Eckler is the fact that, you know, he's coming off career highs and targets with 127 and receptions 107. And if you just remember making projections for him last year, uh, normally Keenan Allen and or Mike Williams was out. So he was always getting a spike uh, in targets as a result. Uh, both receivers were only healthy for four games. So just considering we will likely see improved health from both of them. Um, they also added a first round talent in Quentin Johnson. Uh, you know, it's just going to be tougher for Eckler to maintain that massive target share. Obviously he's going to be one of the best pass catching backs in the league still, but last year was probably going to be, you know, his career high. So that's the only concern I, I think in terms of regression is uh, just in receptions overall. And obviously, you know, not being able to duplicate 18 touchdowns, but not many running backs can. Uh, so having said that, he's still my RB2 and nearly my RB1, just because we can bank on him getting all those high value targets and touches uh, around the goal line. So just after all that, at the end of the day, you still have an elite high-end RB1 and Austin Eckler. Yeah, I think, you know, the the circumstances are still there for the touchdowns. I mean, it should be a fast pace. The Chargers offense should be healthier. Better, uh, possibly. Better, you know, yeah. Kevin Moore probably opens it up a little bit. Yeah. Um. So I'm not overly concerned. I, I do think, again, I don't think this is necessarily the sweet spot for running backs. I still rather have a receiver or Travis Kelsey mm-hmm. uh, this high in the draft. Uh, but uh, let's move on to number three, B. John Robinson. You know, how many touches per game are, are you expecting him to have? How many does he need per game, do you think, to pay off this ADP? Because RB3, I mean, there's really no room for, for error <laughs> now. It's, you know, that you're kind of drafting him at, you know, to see. I mean, the ceiling is overall RB1, but you're pretty yeah. much drafting him there already uh, without seeing him play it down in the NFL. Yeah, so this is uh, this is where the running back position opens up, in my opinion. And I have him at RB4. Um, I don't think you're crazy at all if you take him as a third running back. Like you said, he has RB1 overall upside as soon as this year. I mean, he's a generational talent. 
he landed in a fantastic spot. I mean, the Falcons were already ranked third in DVOA and rushing last year. Um, and now they have Bijan in that offense. So they also drafted uh, Matthew Bergeron in the second round, who was like a first round talent in terms of uh, like run blocking. He yeah. should be really good. So it's clear that the Falcons are going to lean on the run again, especially with Bijan. So I have him averaging around, you know, 16 to 17 rush attempts a game. Um, now, He's capable of being like a five catch a game back, but this offense unfortunately doesn't throw much, especially the running back. So I have him around three catches a game. I think that's where the floor might come into play. Um, so he has all the tools to be the RB1 overall, but just certain things like that might set him back. Plus, Tyler Algier could command enough touches, you know, to to possibly around the goal line, who knows, to to kind of lower Bijan's weekly uh projection. Um, but you know, he has RB one overall upside. Uh, so if there were a time, if there were a back to kind of take early, it would be him. But again, like I said, this is the time I think I'm still drafting receivers because you can get a guy like Henry or Chubb who I'm projecting about the same as Bijan nearly around later. Um, so it's, it just, in terms of my draft strategy, the flow of the draft, someone in your draft is going to love Bijan enough to take him inside the top nine. Um, so it's hard to get too much. And while I'm not saying don't fade him completely, um, it, he just doesn't fully, you know, enter in my draft strategy. Yeah. Like if I had one draft, uh, I'm probably not taking, I'm not I'm probably not taking any of the top four running backs. Uh, oh yeah. They are. Cause Jonathan Taylor is number four and you know, with Bijan, I mean, I think, I think, yeah, I think that's the concern is we don't truly know, you know, we're kind of looking at, you know, past data for running backs drafted this high. Yes. They, they put up a lot of touches, uh, you know, in year one, running backs don't take time to really develop. They're usually good right away. So he's got all that working in his favor, but this is still a Falcons team that they, they're kind of loading up our running backs. They like to run a lot. So there, you know, there could be some, some, un, you know, some kind of volatility week to week, uh, especially if we don't, if he has kind of like an undefined role in the passing game, I've heard they want to split him out in the slot, which could be mm -hmm. good, but uh, there, that's, I think the question, which is, you know, like, what do you think the floor is for, for Robinson in terms of his, his, <laughs> like, what, what would be the carry floor you think like uh, per game? 14 carries. I mean, his floor is still like probably a top 10 running back in this offense. Yeah. So I, I think he has a high floor, high ceiling combo. I, I think Saquon Barkley probably still has a higher floor um, just because he's getting pretty much every touch. Uh, but there's there's enough volume to go around where Tyler Algier could be a top 40 back and Bijan is still a top five back. Um, so I don't really think he has that level of floor. Again, I think it does come back to his receiving usage. Uh, if you look at weeks one through 13 last year when Marcus Mariota was quarterback, they averaged three targets a game in running backs total. You know, that's with Cordell Patterson there. Um, and then weeks 15 through 18 with uh, Desmond Ritter under center, it was closer to seven targets a game. So it was encouraging at least to see Ritter, you know, be more willing to throw it to running backs. Now, granted, Kyle Pitts was out yeah. during that stretch, so that could have something to do with that. But I think it, at the end of the day, it comes down to, you know, how many receptions will Robinson get a game? I think his floor for carries, like I said, is 14 plus. Um, but if he can average more than three catches a game, now we're talking potential, you know, top three range. So that that's kind of where the questionable projection for me with uh, Robinson is, and I do think he'll be the goal line back, but again, Tyler Algier was legit last year. So I wouldn't be shocked if Algier, you know, snipes a couple touchdowns from him. 
Um, so those are just the the concerns. But as a talent, I mean, he could be the best running back in the league this year. It's just those yeah. those other factors um, make me think that he's closer to you know RB four, RB five. Yeah, exactly. Like he's he's not he, he's a great player. He's it's it's just not a slam dunk. Like none of these guys feel like a slam dunk. Yeah, <laughs> at running back. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands. So you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Jonathan Taylor is next up. He's RB4, you know, 21, essentially just 22 touches per game uh, two years ago, uh, 20 per game last year, even though it kind of seemed like a down year. Uh, but now you switch to to, to Shane Steichen uh, and a new offense. Frank Reich is, is gone. Saturday is gone. Uh, do you think Taylor continues to see similar usage to the last couple of years where he's getting upwards of 20 touches uh, a game? Uh, yeah, I think it's possible, but he he has to to warrant this ADP. And what I gather what you're saying is you're kind of just holding out at running back to begin with. And while I'm saying I, I'm doing the same thing, I'll, I'll sprinkle in some McCaffrey, Eckler, uh, certainly Barkley and Bijan. But I, like Taylor at RB4, if somebody's taking him there, I'm not taking him. Uh, he's got to fall like outside of the top six or seven for me to consider him. Um, you know, last year he had that ankle injury that really just derailed his season. Uh, he was RB 25 in points per game. Um, and he was RB 21, uh, in weeks one through four when he was presumably healthy. Um, so, you know, he's too talented not to bounce back. Uh, he's also super durable. So it's hard to like label him as like an injury risk, but, uh, you know, the Colts offense is going to be featuring likely a rookie quarterback this year in Anthony Richardson, who's you know, a rushing quarterback. So I just don't see the upside in drafting Taylor as a top five back. I mean, he just doesn't offer the same receiving upside that like a lot of these uh, backs have. So I think he needs like a perfect bounce back to warrant this. And I'm not even sure we can count on that. So um, especially in this range, I'm not taking Taylor this high. Yeah. I mean, the thing about Taylor is, you know, th- this division, even though they, I mean, they could for all, intensive purposes finishing last place but i mean the schedule still is not 
is not too hard, but I agree. I think they're, I think the guys going after him offer the same, if not more uh, value in terms of their ceiling floor combination, um, you know, than a guy in a new offense that could be bad with, you know, either Minshew or Richardson at quarterback. Um, you know, we don't, re- and you know, there was talk this off season, you know, Taylor himself said, Hey, you know, I got, I'm probably going to have to focus more on efficiency this year, which tells me that, you know, they might not give him the same workload that ah. he was getting under Frank. Right. Cause I mean, that, that year under Frank, Wright, Especially two years ago was just, you know, mm-hmm. everything kind of went right for them. And, um, last year, you know, you had Reich and then you had another coach who's into the run in Saturday. And I think Steichen will be as well, but remember, you know, he, he kind of rotated three guys in there with Philly. Um, you know, he kind of oversaw that last year with Miles Sanders, not really happy, uh, in the, in a lead role. So, um, it's possible Taylor is used a little bit more like that, um, than, than the true, you know, 20, 22 touch per game guy he's been. So for me, like I, I see a less chance of that happening with the next guy, which is Saquon Barkley. Um, he did have 352 touches last year, but that was his first time with 300 plus since his rookie year. Uh, he's still only 26. Uh, do you think he can hold up to an, for another year of mm-hmm. his high end usage? Because if he does, I think he, I think he has running back overall up uh, one overall upside and he may get more snaps than any of the other guys we've, we've talked about so far. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, he's, he's 26. So I would consider that the tail end of his prime. I think we have one more potential RB one overall type of upside with him. Um, and last year it wasn't too surprising that he bounced back because he was fully healthy. Uh, he's still one of the best running backs in the game when healthy, he's going to see a ton of usage on the ground and through the air more so than McCaffrey and Eckler, where if you just combine his rush attempts and receptions, like he could see the most volume out of these backs. So he's my RB three right now. Um, And again, it it comes down to draft strategy. Um, There's some times where you can get him at the turn. I think that's when it's ideal to get him. You can pair him up with the top receiver. Um, So the fact that you can get him with one of those tier two receivers um, is very enticing. So he just goes at like a great spot to target running back early. Um, because like I said, he's my RB3. It's close between RB3 and RB9, but I think he goes in that sweet spot. So yeah, we we still might have, might haven't seen his best season yet. They they still only have Matt Breida and they added Eric Gray, who's yeah. okay as a prospect. So he doesn't have much competition. So I think they're going to lean on him heavily this year. Um, so he just has a very high floor. And one of the highest ceilings at the position, so I think he makes a ton of sense. Uh, RB five. Yeah, I think he's a he's a guy that makes me feel fine about you know skipping out on running back in the first round because mm-hmm. you know like he's a guy who I would target you know early second if I'm drafting late late in the first um, or you know mid if he gets back. But um, I, I think I, I agree. I think he should be the uh, RB three uh, because, like you said, the volume. I think he, you know, 352 touches last year, um, you know, that's going to project out for significantly more than uh, McCaffrey and Equity. Now they should be a little more efficient, but at the end of the day, a lot we're trying to eliminate the risks and, you know, a lot of the stuff, you know, Equity depends on touchdowns a lot. McCaffrey, we're just kind of hoping he continues to get these touches in the right places in in this offense because Shanahan will kind of swap guys out. But Barkley, there's really no question marks. Uh, other than will we sign this, you know, will, we, will they get a long-term deal? Will we play in the franchise tag? What's going on? That's really the only thing with him um, and, and the health. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think he's a little safer 
then definitely then Taylor, then, then Bijan uh, as, as well. Uh, and then Derrick Henry, he's RB6. And he's another guy, I think, I, I mean, you know, people look at him, okay, age 29. And yeah, that's a concern. That's past running backs prime. Uh, but, you know, looking at Henry, he's still getting the 20 plus carries a game. I don't see any reason that Tennessee is going to go off him. So when I, when I'm drafting guys now, I'm saying, okay, you know, which of these guys can be the overall RB one. And, you know, I think Barkley and then Henry have probably a better shot at being that overall RB one than Taylor Bijan uh, do. And the, I don't think the risk is that different because we know Henry's going to continue to get 29, <laughs> you know, 20 plus carries as long as he can handle yeah. it. Now, can he handle it? We, I mean, last year he did. You know, he got the injury the year before. Last year he did. So how are you kind of looking at, at, at Henry and, and expecting him to hold up uh, in his age 29 season? Yeah, so he he's 29, and this is this is around the time I said we, we should see him start to really decline. Uh, but he's still going to see a ton of volume. He still has double-digit touchdown upside. Um, and it was nice to see. He, he saw an uptick in, uh, you know, receiving usage last year, which is nice. Uh, but, you know, the Titans, you know, they have arguably the worst offensive line heading in the season, which could be a concern. Um, so Henry's going to have to really earn all his yards um, and possibly have fewer positive game scripts than usual. You know, the Titans have, uh, you know, win total closer to seven. Uh, and I guess there's a there's still a chance that he gets traded in season, right, or by the end of the season. So um, if that were to happen, it would likely be to a better situation, kind of like Christian McCaffrey last year. Um, I mean, imagine just I'm hypothesizing here, but if like Nick Chubber to go down, the Browns could maybe, Hmm. you know, pry Henry away. And now Henry's playing as the workhorse back behind an elite offensive line. You know, like I think a potential trade only enhances his ceiling um, rather than hurts it. So, um, again, I think it comes down to where he's going is like the sweet spot for running backs, in my opinion, because he's going mid to late round two in some drafts. So you're able to get Kelsey or a tier two receiver like Cooper Cup and then Hunter Henry or uh, Derrick Henry and round. Yeah, could you imagine? Uh, <laughs> and then Derrick Henry and round two, like sign me up for that. However, there is a chance. There are some times where I do lean Nick Chubb. It's more of a 50-50 split of Nick Chubb and Derrick Henry in that range for me because I I do think Nick Chubb is one of those backs that does have RB1 overall upside as well. But at the end of the day, these two backs are going mid to late second round, which is I think is criminal. I think that's that's when I like taking my first running back. Yeah, and and looking at Henry, you know, more in in terms of the things he can control, his yards after contact last year was 3.6. For his career, it's 3.7. So he's still pretty efficient. His yards before contact has been low, each of the you mentioned the O line, yeah. it's been around one or below each of the last two years, which is bad. Usually around one three, one on average. Yeah, not his fault. Not his fault. Yeah. yeah, but like at the end of the day, I don't know his offensive line can get much worse. So you still you still are projecting him for around still a little bit above the league average in terms, you know, around four and a half yards per carry. Uh, and we know he's capable of more, and nothing really has to change with the way he's being used. Uh, and he could finish as the number one running back. So I, I love him in this spot. Um, you know, he's just four straight years of, of 20 plus carries. It's going to end sometime, but we know all running backs are injury risks. And there's that many running backs that would get this kind of, are, are, you know, not even if somebody got hurt, would get this kind of usage uh, that Derrick Henry gets. Yeah. I love Henry uh, where he's going. I, I'll take him all day uh, as my number one running back, uh, Nick Chubb, RB seven, you mentioned him 17.8 carries per game last year, 1.6 catches per game. 
Uh, does his role change at all? Kareem Hunt, as, as far as we know, uh, not going to be back on this team, uh, not not signed uh, to uh, not under contract. Uh, so Chubb, you know, could, I guess, increase on that. But what are you projecting? Yeah, th- I mean, he could be in line for his best season yet, um, you know, even at age 28. Uh, he's still elite. You know, he's averaged over five yards per carry every year of his career. Gets to play behind one of the best offensive lines in football uh, still. Um, and this offense could be b- much better this year uh, if you think Deshaun Watson's going to, you know, bounce back to even close to what we saw in Houston. So uh, I think without Kareem Hunt, you know, we could see a bigger workload, uh, especially in the passing game. I think at the end of the day, they're always going to try to limit Chubb to a certain extent, you know, I don't think they're going to let him run, you know, 350 times, but he still has a ton of upside this year with no cream hunt backing him up. Um, you know, I do like Jerome Ford, but he's nowhere near uh cream hunt. I don't think he's going to carve out a role quite like we saw cream hunt over the years. So I think again, this is the perfect time to take a back like Nick Chubb, who I'm projecting similarly, similarly to Derrick Henry. So uh, the fact that you can get, you know, Travis Kelsey or an elite receiver like Cooper cup in round one, and then still get Nick Chubb in round two from that draft slot uh, is very enticing. So I think Nick Chubb, you know, again, he still has a very high floor ceiling combo for a late round two running back. Um, so I think this is the time I like to get a running back because it does start to fall off after these guys. But again, I think he really does have number one overall upside if he inherits, you know, more of this passing down work. Yeah, because he's another guy. I mean, you, you look at the, the backfields and say, okay, you know, who's a guy who could have like a Josh Jacobs here where they, you know, they 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 used to take him out some mm. passing downs, but they just yeah. don't as much. That could be Nick Chubb this year. I mean, Jerome Ford is, you know, he's a nice little deep sleeper, but yeah, uh, I don't think he's, I don't think the the Browns coaching staff is losing sleep at night figuring out how to get <laughs> Ford more touches yeah. or anything like that. So, uh, but I mean, you know, Chubb is 28 as well. Any concerns about the age? Because I feel like a lot of other guys, you know, are kind of getting discounted for their age a little bit. Uh, Chubb doesn't seem to be really at all, um, but he's 28 now. And he's got a pretty heavy workload his uh, four or five, uh, his five years in the league. Uh, any, any, any thoughts on, on his age? Um, yeah, to a certain extent, you know, with him, you know, we're not banking on a ton of like 80 yard runs, things like that. I mean, with him, He's such a good pure runner, arguably the best pure runner in the game still at this age. Again, it comes down to offensive line. The scheme is really how, um, you know, we get to where we're projecting him over five yards to carry. Um, so I think he would, you know, if there is any sort of decline, it could be offset with just this offense being better, setting him up for easier touchdowns. So he's not the kind of player that I think we're really banking on, you know, him being, super explosive because he's in his prime. I think he's just a quality running back that reads his blocks. Well, has a really good offensive line. Um, so he's a guy I would expect, you know, a slower decline and, a, you know, especially at 28, he's not going to fall off a cliff, um, maybe 29, 30. That's when he'll start to fall off. But I think right now he still has that upside just based on the scheme, his offensive line, his running style, and just his, his sheer talent. Um, so I think he can hold off that decline for another year or two, at least. Yeah. Yeah. And the offensive line is, is very good uh, in Cleveland. I I do expect this offense to be, to be good with an yeah. off season of for Watson. And uh, it's really not many weak winks uh, on this offense. Mother's day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue Nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones. Blue Nile has something she'll adore. 
Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Josh Jacobs is the RBA. Uh, he's he's a guy that worries me. I'm you know wondering where your risk level with him is. He, he had the... Uh, you know, more than 320 carries last year. That's been kind of a curse since 2013, excluding Le'Veon Bell, who sat out the next year. You know, there's been five backs that have carried that much, and they've averaged seven missed games the next year. They've decreased a full yard per carry uh, the next year. And, you know, Jacob's not really going to be in, in camp much. I, there's still the issue with his contract. Uh, you know, going to a new quarterback, going to the, I mean, just nothing's really worked in this McDaniel era uh, outside of Jacobs last year. But like, I, I think that was a little bit of a perfect storm. Um, so I'm a little worried about him heading into this year. Uh, I think the Raiders could be really bad. Uh, what about you? Yeah, no, I agree. And that's the best way to put it. It was just a perfect storm last year for him. And uh, honestly, the time to get him was last year. He was a league winner, obviously went around RB 20. Um, now you kind of have to buy him near his ceiling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's coming off a 375 touch season. So I'd be careful about that. Um, plus the potential holdout. Uh, also, you know, this Jimmy G situation could go south pretty quick. The The Raiders season could get ugly real fast. So yep. that's a potential floor for him. That's kind of out of his control. Um, so there's a lot more pass for him hitting his floor than other running backs in this tier. That's why he's the at the bottom of my, uh, our, my tier two at running back. So I would actually take Tony Pollard over him. Um, if Tony Pollard's off the board, all these other running backs are off the board and I can get Josh Jacobs at the end of round two before there's a drop off at the position. That's the only time I could see myself taking him, but usually that's not the case. So I think Jacobs is a guy I'm kind of shying away from because again, I rather have Henry Chubb, uh, who are going around this time, or even Tony Pollard. So Jacobs is a guy I'm usually avoiding unless he falls to me at the end of round two or the beginning of round three. Yeah, because, you know, kind of talked about the perfect storm. It's last year, even though the Raiders lost 11 games, they had, I believe, nine of them were by one score. So they were mm-hmm. in a lot of games, whereas I don't see their defense getting a ton better this year, if if at all. Uh, and, you know, with the quarterback situation, I mean, they could be starting somebody that's not even on the roster, Brian Hoyer or a rookie Aiden O'Connell might have to make starts. Who knows? I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo, even if he's healthy for week one, not likely to play a full season. He almost never does. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think there's some significant concerns. I think the floor for Chubb is a lot higher. Uh, and the floor for Chubb and the guys above Jacobs is a lot higher Mm -hmm. Uh, than Jacobs and then, you know, guys going down. But uh, let's talk about Pollard. Just over 12 carries per game last year, uh, just under two and a half catches, but he only played 53% of the snaps. Uh, How much do you expect his role to grow this season? Yeah, I think it's going to grow a lot. And I've I've been waiting for this moment, similar to when, you know, the Titans had DeMarco Murray 
uh, Dion Lewis. I was waiting for them to get out of the way for Derek Henry, similar to, you know, Dallas Goddard playing behind Zach Ertz. So we finally get, you know, Tony Pollard without Zeke in the mix. So, you know, I love his upside. Um, you know, he was what the RB seven last year with Zeke there, you know, healthy for most much of the season. And, uh, you know, Pollard has top five, top three upside uh, without Zeke. Um, you know, some of the legit concerns taking him early would be just the fact that the Cowboys could bring Zeke back or just another bigger back. Um, you know, right now he doesn't have much competition, so that could change. Um, I, they might be waiting to see how healthy he is, you know, heading into week one. That's that's a mild concern as well. Um, plus, the other concern is just the fact that, you know, Pollard scored nine rushing touchdowns last year. Only two came inside the five. Um, you, you don't want a running back to rely on long touchdowns, which which he certainly did last year. But, you know, Zeke's leaving behind 19 carries inside the five. So if he's able to pick up that, that's where I think he unlocks his top three upside because we already know he's a good pass catching back. You know, he can handle 15 plus carries a game. Uh, but if he also gets that goal line work that Zeke is leaving behind, that's where I think he's a top three type of back. And I think right now, you know, even at RB9, I think you're getting some value. He's he's my RB5 right now. Not saying you should draft him five because, um, A, you don't have to. He typically does last uh, till the end of the second round. But B, you know, the Cowboys might bring in running back. So you have to factor that in. But as of right now, I think getting, you know, Pollard at the end of round two with the ninth running back off the board is a steal. And and how do you think about, you know, him holding up? Because I think that's probably the biggest, mm, like, one of yeah. the concerns. Because, like, in college, he was more of, like, a wide receiver. His high, I believe, was just under 120 touches for a college season. Uh, and then last year, 232 touches was his high. But, of course, he gets injured at the end of it. More of a freak injury. But uh, any concerns there with, with his durability? Yeah, certainly. You know, there, there was never concern where, you know, if Zeke was out for a game or two, you know, he could handle 20 plus touches, but you never know if, you know, a bat can hold up an entire season like that. Um, if anything, you know, maybe it becomes like a McCaffrey Eckler situation where they kind of limit him to the most valuable touches, you know, like the passing network, mm -hmm. goal line work, and they give like Ronald Jones or Mike Davis, you know, those between the 20s. Uh, carries if that were to happen that'd be fine with me uh, I still think he has top five upside but yeah that I think that is a fair point just wondering if he can you know endure a full workload for a full season but again he he finished RB7 last year even in a semi-limited role so I think just expanding that uh, at all just offers massive upside and I think he can he could certainly handle you know over 200 carries uh, in a season so um I think that's a fair concern. Maybe that means he doesn't have RB1 overall upside. Uh, I, I think you're just still getting a ton of upside at RB9 right now. Yeah, I do feel better about him than than Josh Jacobs uh, at RB8, but I still I still do like Chubb, Henry, Barkley uh, over him. Yeah. Um, Najee Harris is RB10. He averaged 18, about 18 and a half touches per game uh, last year. But uh, the Steelers went super run heavy and Gavin Warren was cutting into Harris's, you know, percentage based workload in terms of the the, the snaps and, and the routes run in the passing game. So do you think Harris can maintain, uh, you know, those 18 plus touches per game this year? Or do you think that's going to trend down? Uh, I think he he could. But again, just having that doubt um, kind of loses the appeal for him because the appeal for Harris has always just been massive volume and you know he's not gonna have the most efficient 
metrics. You could just bank on volume. Um, but the fact that Jalen Warren is making a push to make this more of a committee, he already did last year um, in terms of, you know, receiving usage, but, you know, he could start eating in his carries as well. Um, you know, that that's why I'm kind of shying away from Harris. Plus, we'll get to this uh, later, but, um, you know, I just have a ton of, Jalen Warren shares in general. <laughs> um, so that his ceiling is kind of Najee Harris missing sometimes. So I'm trying to shy away from Harris, but you know, where Najee is going, this is where the running back position starts to drop off, where you start to have a lot of concerns with some of these other backs that are being drafted at as high as RB 13, 14. Um, so I think he still is a safe, you know, low end RB one play, but um, just with Jalen Warren there, that does cap his upside and exposes him to have a lower floor than I think we realized. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I think a lot of it last year was, you know, down the stretch, Pittsburgh was able, they kind of recommitted to the run and they were able to run the ball a lot, but, you know, a lot of good uh, game scripts and, and that could continue this year, but, you know, they're still uh, projected to be last place in in that division. Uh, things, it ha- hasn't come quite as easy for them. So you could see a, a downtick in his usage, you know, just based on the percentages, because they were kind of going down from, you know, where he was earlier in the season in terms of his percentage of the team carries and whatnot, you know, over his last six games, he had just about 57% of the backfield carries, you know, just over, just over half, which, but because Pittsburgh was in a lot of, you know, good game scripts or whatnot, that still came out to like 19 a game, which is very unrealistic for a guy getting 15, you know, if you're projecting, uh, 57% if you're projecting forward, you're more likely looking at, you know, 10 to 12 carries per game. So mm-hmm. I do think, yeah, there's a pretty significant floor here, especially because I think Warren did outplay him in, in a bunch of areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, Warren outplayed him in the passing game, uh, blocking as well. So, uh, yeah, I think I think he has a, a pretty a pretty low floor for RB10. That's, a, that's like I said, I think the sweet spot is, you know, kind of that that mid-range RB1, you know, the Barkley, the, the Henrys, the Chubbs, the Powers, yeah. those guys – once I get to Jacobs, I kind of get worried. Paris, the same thing. Ramondre Stevenson's RB11. He averaged uh, 16 and a half touches per game. But now we're going to this Bill O'Brien offense. And it never seemed like, like they always kind of had like another back. And it just seemed like Ramondre would get his biggest usage when Damian Harris was out. So, you know, this year we have the quote from him saying, I'm kind of the guy. And, you know, just unproven guys behind him or, you know, older veterans like Ty Montgomery. So where, where are you projecting Stevenson's kind of workload uh, in, in this new offense? Yeah, he's he's really tricky because, you know, he's my RB10. I, I still like him. Uh, last season, he definitely had, similar to what you said with Josh Jacobs, Stevenson definitely had the perfect storm of factors lead to his breakout. You know, James White retired. Ty Montgomery got injured. I think Montgomery could have been a bigger factor in the passing game. Mm-hmm. And Damian Harris was injured a ton of games. So, um you know, he was the RB10 from week six on. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of those factors are still there. You know, James White is still retired. Damian Harris is now on the Bills. Uh, and I'm not as worried about Ty Montgomery or even Pierre Strong, um, you know, factoring, uh, you know, enough to matter. Um, so I think Stevenson still has some sneaky top 10 uh, upside. He's actually like in tier three by himself. I have him in a tier above Najee Harris because – this offense should be better under Bill O'Brien. I mean, it can't be much worse than having Matt Patricia trying to figure out on the fly last year. But Bill O'Brien, you know, he's leaned on workhorse backs in his career with Aaron Foster, Lamar Miller, uh, even Carlos Hyde. So I'm not as worried as, like, the Belichick always needs to have a committee thing. I think Stevenson 
like you said, like he said, should be the guy this year. Um, some other reasons to be excited is just, you know, Mac Jones loves dumping it off to his running backs. The Pats had the second highest running back target percentage last season. Um, you know, Stevenson could also see some pretty significant positive touchdown regression. He he had the uh, worst red zone luck in my model where he only scored two touchdowns on 12 rush attempts inside the five. Um, so he lost about three touchdowns, um, you know, on just, you know, bad luck, I guess you'd call it, but he could be a, you know, decent goal line back going forward. So I think he could possibly, you know, score eight to 10 touchdowns on the ground. So there are some things to like that he could improve on this year while maintaining some of the issues we saw last year. So, well, there are some concerns. I still think he's just on that brink of a top 10 back. So uh, in certain situations, if I miss out on a tier one or two running back, you can get him in round three. I think it does make sense. Yeah, because I look at him compared to a guy like Najee Harris, and I see Najee Harris getting his workload cut into, whereas Stevenson's another one of those guys that, you know, he could have like that Josh Jacobs season where he just doesn't Mm. come off the field this year uh, very much because there's not much behind him. So, yeah, I think he has a better floor-ceiling combo uh, than a guy like Najee uh, in this Patriots offense, which also should just be – I mean, I still think there's concerns on the O-line and whatnot, but uh, should be better than last year under – Matt Patricia and Joe judge or whatever that was. (laughs) Yeah. Whatever that was. Uh, And then Brees Hall rounds out the top 12. I'm good. Another guy I'm concerned about. I mean, how healthy do you expect him to be in week one? How long do you expect him to take to, to ramp it up? I mean, it sounds like he's going to be healthier than we thought like a month ago, because uh, he had a, just a pretty clean ACL tear. That's it. Whereas you know, someone like Javante Williams is dealing with all these other issues surrounding the torn ACL. So I think Brees Hall sounds like he might be close to 100% by week one. Um, you know, th- this could also turn into J.K. Dobbins of last year where, you know, they ease him in the first, you know, few weeks, uh, which was fine, I guess, for J.K. Dobbins because you're drafting him, you know, outside of the top 20. But Brees Hall, you're drafting inside of the top 12. So you, you kind of need him to be healthy out of the gate. So I wouldn't go all in on him. But I think there are, you know, some spots you got to take him because, um, you know, the, the easiest time, I guess, to survive, you know, running back, maybe not being at 100% would be the first few weeks, um, you know, especially in a redraft league. Uh, that's why, you know, if I'm drafting Brees Hall, I usually pair him up with a guy like uh, Jamal Williams who could see – an early season spike with Alvin Kamara potentially suspended or even Samaj P Ryan with Javante, maybe not even playing the first few games. So there are ways to kind of work around Brees Hall's injury. Uh, but I think he does have top five upside uh, in this offense. And one of the things I was looking at was just his receiving usage. Um, last year, he averaged 2.7 receptions per game. Um, only 76% of his targets were catchable, which is the third lowest <laughs> out of 70 backs last year. If you look like, three of the top 10 were all Jets players. Ty Johnson had the lowest. Michael Carter is 15 lowest. So it might have had something to do with their quarterback situation last year. Um, So having a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers will help significantly in that area. Uh, So based on, you know, Hall's ADA of 5.3, which is pretty high for running back, uh, just having an average QB, he would be averaging closer to 3.4 receptions per game with just an average quarterback. So uh, Aaron Rodgers could add plus, you know, plus 0.7 receptions a game if not more just with more accurate passes out of the out of the backfield so um I, I think Hall's upside is massive uh with Rodgers there um so I think that 
I wouldn't go all in on him at RB12, but you have to mix him in because he does have so much upside. And if you do take him, you have to get creative, like I said, and take some backs later on that will peak um, likely in, you know, the first couple weeks to kind of make up for Brees Hall, maybe getting eased in. Yeah, I'm I'm I don't have Brees Hall as a top 12 back. I think I think there's still too many question marks. I mean, mm-hmm. for one, this team, the Jets are one of the favorites to land Dalvin Cook. Um, you know, if I know they're not as high as the Dolphins, but um there's there's definitely an interest i think there uh we have a quote from the gm joe douglas saying we got to protect him from himself uh so I, I just think he's gonna i don't think he's gonna necessarily see the usage we want or the usage of a top 12 running back for the entire uh season and you know two twenty one percent of his total yards did come on two touches last year so you know we who knows how the acl and it was in week seven who knows how that kind of affects him this year he is young uh, and he is very talented but uh, I, yeah, I would. I, I think there's a significant downside to taking him in the in the top twelve. Between you know, this could turn into a committee. They could, uh, you know, he could. He's a injury risk. Uh, you know, I, I just and the O line mm-hmm. was not very good last year. It was dead last in adjusted line yards. Now I think they'll be healthier and better this year than, than that. But um, I still see a lot of downside risk. Uh, and you know, for like, I, I think there's other guy, young guys like who we'll talk about in the next pod, but mm-hmm. like ETN and Walker, you know, guys who have similar concerns or about the workload, but health isn't really uh, mixed in with those concerns. So that that's why I prefer uh, a bunch of other guys over, over Brees Hall, because I think, you know, there there's health factors kind of mixed in with the yeah. you know uncertainty uh, workload uncertainty. Yeah. I think that makes a ton of sense just because, He's going early enough where the the floor does come into play. You don't want to take a guy at RB12 and then, you know, he doesn't play that much. So that makes sense. But if Dalvin Cook signs with the Dolphins and Brees Hall is still being drafted, RB12, you'd be more interested in him? Uh, no, I think I would have to <laughs> – I would, I'd still, I still would feel better about, like, ETN – uh, pretty much uh, ETN, Walker, uh, even a guy like Joe Mixon. Um, yeah. I, I just think there's – the workloads of those guys. Cause you know, we're, we're kind of depending on Brees to be very efficient too. That's why we love the upside, you know, kind of like mm-hmm. a Pollard kind of guy. And um, you know, that's all well and good, but you know, if he's, if, if there's injury risk at, you know, where he's going, I could just get a guy that doesn't have injury risk that projects for a similar right. amount of yards and, and touchdowns. So. Yeah. Especially for best ball. Cause I know you have, obviously, you know, you don't want to be missing games there. I think this is maybe more for redraft where, yeah the most valuable time for a back would be fancy playoffs. Like I'm comfortable knowing I can make the fancy playoffs. Um, so I'm more willing to take him here in redraft, I would say, um, because he'll likely be a hundred percent, I would say by that time. Uh, so I'm more interested in that upside, but certainly best ball, like you're saying, you know, Mixon, ETN more likely to give you 17 quality games than Brees Hall. So um, I, I think I'm more likely to take him in redraft than best ball. Yeah, and then, again, just a guy we have to monitor and see how the health yeah. is actually doing exactly. uh, as we head toward the season. But, uh, yeah, that's going to wrap it up for our running back one pod here on the Fantasy Flex. Uh, if you want to hear us talking, uh, breaking down each of the, the divisions team by team with all the fantasy relevant players, all of those episodes are out. You can find Sean on Twitter at the underscore oddsmaker, me at Chris Raybon, and we're at those same handles on the free award-winning Action Network app. Until next time, let's get this money. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. 
If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.